0: you. folks, this is a very special commercial-free bonus episode that we wanted to roll out to make this dark week uh, not so dark. Yeah, this topic has been fairly academic up until now, and we
1: aren't done with it yet, but this seemed like a good time to lighten things up for a minute, while also getting a pretty unusual perspective on the Patterson-Gimlin film from someone who's had the unique experience of being made up to look like a monkey (laughs) for a recent
0: movie. And this was the perfect time to do this, because next week we're going to be back to talk about how various scientists reacted to the film. And the week after that, we're going to be talking to professional Hollywood costume designer and film analysis expert Bill Munns about the realities of Patty maybe being a man in a costume, as well as Bill's in-depth frame-by-frame analysis of every known copy of the film. But first, we wanted to have tonight's guest on. So as many longtime listeners of the show have probably heard me mention a little too many times, my mm. wife is a comedy writer working in both television and movies, and she's been doing that for about 20 years now. Her name is Emily Spivey, and she spent nine years as a writer at Saturday Night Live starting in 2001, late 2001, actually. Her very first show, believe it or not, was the first one that Saturday Night Live did after 9-11. For me, it's been totally amazing to be along for the ride. And as you might imagine, I've been lucky enough to meet and get to know most of the people she's worked with over the years, including the three guys who make up the incredibly talented comedy trio, The Lonely Island, famous for the popular SNL digital shorts that pretty much everyone in the world has seen. The Lonely Island are Andy Samberg, Akiva Schaffer, and Jorma Taconi. It occurred to me that Yorma had actually played Chaka in the 2009 feature film Land of the Lost, based on the Sid and Marty Croft TV series from the early 70s. Chaka is a primate-like character, and Yorma is hilarious, so I couldn't think of a better guest to have on for an additional perspective on the Patterson-Gimlin film. Yorma himself is a writer, director, and actor working both in front of and behind the camera. He made his feature-length acting debut in Paramount's Hot Rod, appearing opposite Andy Sandberg, Ian McShane, Sissy Spacek, Isla Fisher, and Bill Hader. He made his feature-length directorial debut in 2009 with an adaptation of SNL's popular sketch, McGruber. That film starred Will Forte, Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph, and Val Kilmer. Yorma also appeared in a recurring role as the cocky New York artist Booth Jonathan in the first two seasons of the popular and groundbreaking HBO series Girls. Andy, Akiva, and Yorma originated the highly successful digital short group, The Lonely Island, a name coined from their cramped West Coast apartment, the trio shared as upcoming comedians. In 2000, the trio began writing, directing, and producing their own brand of comedy and showcasing it on their website, thelonelyisland.com. After joining Saturday Night Live in 2005, Samberg as a cast member and Tickoni and Schaffer as writers and directors... The Lonely Island became responsible for reinvigorating the series, creating the popular SNL digital shorts. Some of their notable shorts include in a Box, Lazy Sunday, I'm on a Boat, Jack Sparrow, YOLO, and the Natalie Portman rap. They won an Emmy in 2007 and a Peabody Award for their work in the 2008 and 9 season of SNL. As of this older bio that uh, forced Yorma to send me, they've had over 1.73 billion overall views on their YouTube channel, which as of right now, because I just checked, has over 6.8 million subscribers. In 2016, also, if you guys haven't seen this, it's hilarious. It is, however, rated NC-17. They could be seen in the Judd Apatow-produced film, Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping, which they co-wrote, and that was directed by Yorma and Akiva as well.
1: The long and the short of it is these guys are astonishingly talented, and since Yorma played Chaka in Land of the Lost, he seemed like the perfect guest for this week's bonus show.
0: So let's get to the interview. Okay, so we're on with Yorma Taconi from the Lonely Island, and in the middle of this series, it occurred to me that he's the only person I personally know who's actually had to wear a monkey suit in a real movie, and we thought it would be fun to talk to him about that. Yorma played Chaka in the 2009 Land of the Lost movie that was based on the TV show from the late 70s. Yorma, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. To get down to the meat of it, what we really want to know about is what it's like to wear a costume like that, which I think is fair to say as far as monkey costumes go, is not trying as hard to be realistic looking as you might see in other movies that aren't comedies. But in spite of that, Even that costume that's a takeoff on the state that the costume was that Philip Paley wore back in 76 in the TV series, it still seems like it might have been relatively complex to design and wear. So we want to start out with a few questions about what that was like. And and I guess the first one is, did you know the costume designer or who the costumer was?
2: The effects house that made the costume is Spectral. And I believe I'm saying that correctly, which is out in the Valley in in Los Angeles. And they have done all sorts of crazy, massive movies uh, over the years. And the actual person who applied it is a master makeup artist, Tom Flouts. And I obviously spent a shiz load of time together because it was so difficult to put on every morning. A majority of the time was spent applying the face. I would say probably about three hours of it was applying the face and then connecting that with the hair and then connecting that to the, um, laying all of the the extra hair to the beard area that would then sort of connect it to the rest of the suit. So the suit was like a pull on suit, um, which was basically like wearing a full body wig. Okay. So like almost like okay. like a, like a wig type material, like an, like a spandex, but then hair sewed in individually to make that entire suit. And the the feet and the hands which, you know, everything's like modeled off of of my body, were a part of the suit. Those are like the, the hands and the feet are all connected to the suit. So I just sort of pull on the suit. But a majority of the time was, yeah, it was, was just putting on that makeup every morning at like three or four in the morning every every day.
0: Uh, essentially, it's kind of like a jumpsuit, like a mechanic suit, except it has gloves and shoes connected, like a pajama onesie that a baby would wear.
2: Yes. And the shoes had like a little bit of padding in it. So because I had to do a lot of Physicality, like it was, it was a lot of squats. Basically, it was like a permanent squat. <laughs> so, we, <laughs> especially in scenes where you know it would be like Danny McBride and uh, Will Ferrell improv and me in the background squatting for like <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> Was like, and I love the comedy, but yeah. there would be moments where I'd be like, oh, my God, stop improving. <laughs> This is You're uh, just sitting in multiple
0: takes. You're like having to sit like that forever. Did you not have a stand-in for any of that stuff? Or did they, did they
2: put somebody else in a costume for if it wasn't showing your face? No, I did most of the physical stuff myself. There was one or two wide shots that I feel like there was a stunt double who could run crazily like a monkey, but I did a lot of... I wanted to do as much of that stuff as I could myself sort of thing, but we did have, uh, for one big wide shot, I remember, like, like it, 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 he just had to go so fast that I, I physically couldn't do it. Also, by the end of the movie, it was so it was so difficult to do that I had to get a um, cortisone shot in my buttocks area because I, I would literally hobble on set (laughs) because it was so difficult. And then in tremendous pain, they would say action and I would get into, like, Chaka... Pose and then do the like the scene and then hobble off. (laughs) It was like it was, but it was, it was 65 days, I think, that I did. Uh huh. So, you know, it was, it was, it was quite painful by the end. Also, like when you do something like that and you haven't been prepping yourself at all for a physical (laughs) anything for like 15 years, it's not like the easiest thing to just be like, I think I'll be a monkey for like three months. (laughs) (laughs) So, you had to get the cortisone shot because you were so sore because I could barely move. Like, like, like it was just to like. Like sort of loosen me up. I mean, I don't know how much it helped because I was still, I was still like hobbling off. This was only about like there was like this was like the last week of, of it. But no, right. I can I can say though that there were a lot of nights that I would get home super late and then have a masseuse come over and I would cr- like cry. <laughs> <I> would, like... <laughs> oh. I would, like, cry on the table just being like, I don't know, why did I choose to do this part? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I presume
0: that they asked you to do this, right? They, it wasn't an audition process or anything. They they came and said, we want you to be Chaka.
2: No, no, I auditioned. You I, did? I definitely auditioned. Um, Brad Silverling, who directed it, it who's the sweetest man alive and who's kind of been a mentor over the years. Uh, Yeah, like, I mean, you know, they wanted to see it. And the, the other weird part about that, though, was that there was no dialogue in the script whatsoever for Chaka. Like, for all of Chaka's lines, it just said, Chaka gibbers, and then you would know what he was saying based on the response that the other characters were giving. Okay. So after I got the part, I really, like, you know, I actually talked to, like, Pally, uh, like, and and was, like, really... Excited to like, you know, like Sid and Marty are there. Like, I wanted to do right by them. You know, like, I didn't know the show really, but like, you obviously want to bring authenticity to like what it's supposed to be. And like, and obviously, there's a kitschiness, but they, there's a language, like, Pakuni language of like 400 words that were in the original show. They had like a linguist, like, you know, and maybe several linguists create this sort of dictionary of like, of words based on like what they assumed, you know, early primate <laughs> the language would be. Or like, I think it was, a, it was a mashup of different things in some Malaysian or like, I, I don't know where they were drawing from but obviously because it's a comedy and like there's a lot of foul <laughs> foul stuff in it yeah they, they obviously didn't have a, a word for sexual intercourse it's like you right know, like things like that so I had to make up a lot of words and I just was getting the intention and, I, and, and obviously like some of the grammar too was like I, I would like add things and try to do just right by Sid and Marty so I made up a lot of stuff and the funniest one I did was my my mother's boyfriend at the time his name is Matundu Makalani. Really sweet guy. And, uh, but his, na- his name sounded like a pakuni word. <laughs> so I used that for sexual intercourse. Like, I, like, I was like, Matundu Makalani! Like... <laughs> and then, of course, knowing me, I asked for his permission afterwards. And was like, hey, man, um, I don't know if this is cool, but I kind of referred to you as a sexual act in this movie. and he was like no that's not okay (laughs) i don't know how thrilled he was about it but honestly it was it was for me it was a bonding moment
0: you took your performance seriously did you study like when it came to how chaka moved were you more studying pally's perform or is is it polly i thought it was or it's pally
2: Pally. oh i i I think you're right i think it's uh, but i don't know actually okay
0: philip Were you more studying his performance from the show or did you study any kind of primate movement or like or did you just wing it? What was your approach to how Chaka moved?
2: A little bit of both. I mean, like the the show, he was so young in the show that I I feel like he didn't have to get down as low as I had to. Obviously, like, you know, he he had a height advantage. So I was sort of more studying some of his counterparts, like of just how they were. Kind of moving, and then, yeah, like primates, for sure, I was like kind of looking at like just how how a lot of the um for the the curiosity aspects of things too, just because trying to convey emotion or innocence is a lot of like some of the the head turning and the, or like head scratching and those kinds of uh gestures that kind of conveyed more because my face being a little bit more frozen or my my forehead at least you had to kind of get more body stuff involved to, to convey certain emotions i I found um you know i mean to to do this uh just to to make the 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 i'm sure, as sure I'm sure as a lot of uh your audience or you guys know being in the in the biz into biz um <laughs> yeah you know I had to do a full two full head casts to do this, I can't remember why I had to do the second one, but it just the first one didn't work or whatever um cast my arms, my legs you know like get get all that sort of perfect and so uh, the original version of Chaka was a full face mask that was terrifying it was yeah. like really like it had it had no human qualities to it uh-huh so me and Brad looked at it and we were like it needs to have more expression and humanity in it it became like a piece that basically went from my temples over my eyebrows and over my nose to like enlarge my nose the other big thing to like really change my face was the teeth yeah. so like it did mold to my teeth and then obviously like enhanced uh, on top of that so honestly like it changed my face enough that like if people recognize me as, as chaka i'm like frig you yeah <laughs> because, <laughs> because i do not look good. i barely recognized you yeah <laughs> and actually <laughs> and actually i had probably one of the weirdest occurrences recently where uh <laughs> I was at the Vanity Fair Oscar party for my, my wife, who's a, a filmmaker. I, yes. I was, uh, would not have normally been invited to this. <laughs> and, uh, and from out of the crowd, somebody taps me on the shoulder, and I turn around, and it's Marilyn Manson. And he was like, Chaka! Chaka! <laughs> <laughs> And honestly, honestly, I was like, oh, hey, man. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah. He was like, I've watched it a thousand times. And I was like, oh, so you're the guy.
1: (laughs) Hey, I have a question about the headpiece or the mask part of it, as well as the hands and the feet, because, you know, the reason that uh, we're talking with you is about a suit that was purportedly used for this Patterson Gimlin film. And there's some very wide ranging explanations, really two main ones about how the suit was made, if it was a suit. And one of them has to do with the headpiece. So just to clarify, you're saying it wasn't like a full on headpiece covering your entire head. It was more like appliques that were glued to your face in different pieces. Or was it a full thing that you put on that was then kind of attached?
2: Yeah, let me walk you through the application. So, had a he- head cast. So there's, you know, a negative is made uh, by pouring liquid all over your your head and then for half an hour That's where you, have you like,
0: got like the straws in your nose. Yeah, straws in your nose. Oh my god, I've seen that process. Does that not freak you out? Do you have any claustrophobia when when they do that?
2: It was definitely a bit much it also hardens after it goes on so as it goes it gets more claustrophobic as it kind of like like constricts around your around your head and the fact that i had to do it again probably made me the most claustrophobic of being like oh okay didn't work the first time that's cool so so then they make a positive out of that um which is also weird because you kind of realize how weird your your face is there was actually like a full body made of me so they also would like lidar scan which is like when you go into like they, they basically like laser scan your whole body and then you see yourself in like a three dimensional space which is also a bummer and then they make a <laughs> um, there, there's a lot that is revealed about your face when there's no hair on it like when you're like oh that's that's what my nose looks like i'm pretty i'm pretty warped always, like so there was that aspect uh, but like but so they make they make this whole body cast this is why for the film, it seems so difficult to have that be faked to me because back in the day, I like, like this is them using lasers for, like, I mean, like, I, granted, like, it's not like horror movies back in the day weren't able to, like, make full-body casts and, and things like that. I'm sure all of that is possible, but it's so time-consuming and so difficult to do this when you don't have... Each one of those suits that was made for Chaka was, I believe, $150,000. So they made three of them... To make just the body like they have this like this sort of spandexy kind of material that's breathable or sort of breathable. I was either always cold or hot sort of thing. But like it took five seamstresses about a month, I think, or more like tremendously long days, I think, sewing individual yak and human hairs into this suit to do it to cover an entire body. Which is why they were yak so, and human, so animal and human hair was manually sewed into it. Manually sewed in up to the neck, so that that covers the entire body, legs, arms. It was basically, the same thing as, as the film um, right. that you're referencing. Like, like so, I would say with the yak hair too, it, it had a hardness to it that didn't have as much give or weirdly shine. And granted, like they were trying to mimic a different look, so I think so it was perfect for what we were doing. But there's a certain shine. Too in the hair, which I'm sure comes naturally with just using real hair, but to get that much real hair is is just hard. I mean, that looks like it's actually like gorilla type hair. So that was the thing, like about the film to me, where I was like, that there's a glint on his backside that's like fitting perfectly too. Like I mean, like it is, it looks like it's really snug on there too, which makes me think it would be a similar process if it was what we were doing. And then for the face. So I get up ridiculously early every day to do this. Once we figured out the prosthetic of like what it should be of just like part of my face. So it had it was a humanoid, but it still had like facial features that I could do. You put on that applique first. So like so they put this like crazy glue like all over like the parts that the like the the piece is going to go on over my nose and blah blah And that takes like he's doing it perfectly because uh, Tom did like. Hellboy, he did like the fish character and Hellboy. He's an incredible makeup artist. So you put this uh, applique on, glue it down, and then to give it life, you have to like you know he's using an airbrush, he's using all kinds of like uh, a makeup trickery, and then they would also uh, the thing that they would do that you don't think about is that you have to put veins back into it because like our our faces are not just one color. Obviously, that you can see blood and all that so just pumping through it to uh, make it alive. And so they would have a, a template that they would put over my face, and then they would. Spray like a blue vein, and but like like but they would they would add the underpinnings of like of what's underneath your flesh, and then he would just take forever to like blend it in with my skin tone, all that sort of stuff. And then at the end, they would do a lot of like he would do a lot of uh dusting you with almost like a fine mist to like give blood back in into the face, kind of thing. Like like because it, it's so dead if you don't have that. Then um put the headpiece on after that. There's like a wig that would go on top of that. This is probably like about two hours in at this point. Two and a half, maybe. Um, And then he would lay out, he would cut strands of hair that were probably about 10 to 12... 15 inches long sort of thing of separate hairs. And then he would um, lightly dab like my beard area and then he would lay more hairs connecting it because you can't get that like real feeling of it connecting to the suit because it's going to pin into the bottom. Like the wig is going to buckle basically. I would do the the whole head and hair and beard laying first, I believe is how it worked. And then once I would pull on the suit, then he would snap it into my, my wig. So to really get a seamless head to body connection like you really have to spend i think it was probably that we started at like three and a half hours for every time we would put it on and then and like half an hour to take it off and then we got it down to once it was like a science and like and kind of locked in i think maybe we got it to like 245 230 occasionally if you like really rushed it like to do something like this is an extensive process
0: During that time, you guys just make a lot of small... You talk about the weather and stuff every day, and you get to really get to know
2: each other. I will always have a deep, deep connection to Tom (laughs) Flouts. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We could either... You know, watch TV or I could like zone out or whatever. But instead, what we did was that we shared music together. So we would alternate oh, nice. days and we would get a new album and play full albums to each other and usually go through about like two or three a day. So we listened to a lot of music. And then we started, because I'm a, a psychopath, I uh, said that we should start a band called Bass Caliber that was an all MIDI band and I've made a song um, which I will give to you guys called Bass Caliber that is one of the worst things I've ever made Can we play a piece of it on the show? Oh yeah, you can play it right now
1: my god that was awesome i rather enjoyed that i can't wait for the whole album to come out i mean i don't know if i'd listen to it all the time but i thought it was very peppy peppy all right (laughs) i want to get back to the issue of the hands to clarify from before you said they were attached to the spandex suit but were they also separate pieces because that's another part of the film
0: yeah were they like gloves or was that a yeah gloves and slippers more complicated or one of the things they read that they might do is mold like a, a shoe, like some kind of soft slip-on shoe, and then put the feet mold around that, and then you can just slip them on
2: like shoes. How did the feet and hands work with that regard? Because this was for a feature film where where time is is obviously precious always, and it also became very helpful for me to be able to get the suit off very quickly because I would get so overheated or, or it would yeah. be freezing cold. The whole th- bodysuit uh, was connected. So they basically like did exactly what you said like where they'd made like a, a mold of both my hands and feet made like kind of like gloves and slipper booties kind of thing that actually had individual toes I believe. I can't remember that well. It may have been like four for the everything but the big toe and then the big toe being separate. Um, I think it was probably individually because I think they wanted to be as realistic as possible. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was how, how it went. So I would slip on the whole Thing together, so they would take that piece that they had made, the slipper, and put it. I don't know how they did this, honestly, but the the spandex suit is connected to that, and also connected to the hand, so I could slip the whole thing on and off. And that would take under, you know, I could get that on like just putting on a, a pair of coveralls or whatever.
1: What did you have on under the spandex? I don't know if I want to know this. <laughs> I don't like, I mean, it's just because the the original guy said the uh, you know who claims that he wore the suit for the Patterson Gimlin film said he just wore his street clothes underneath it, actually, and put the costume over that. So what did you have to do to
2: get it to that form fitting? That seems really surprising to me for how much you can kind of see, like, the butt and everything in that, in that film. It seems like you can actually see definition of muscle a little bit, which is, like, is a part of the cell to me. So it seems very surprising to me that he wouldn't at least be wearing, like, just underwear or briefs. Like, I was basically wearing like, nude-colored briefs, Because also, you could kind of see through my suit a little bit because, like, you imagine, like, it's tightly woven, but, like, imagine doing it, like, like how how many hair follicles actually are on an animal that would actually have... Like, that would be insane. So, like, they skipped a lot of it. Like, that's why the hair is so long, so you can kind of skip parts. So, you know, if I pulled it out for you, you could, like, see my chest hair through it. You know what I mean? Like, like if I really, like, get, yeah. uh, expanded it. So, no, it was mostly... Uh, nude underwear. I actually have one shot that I'll I'll never show to anyone that my <laughs> wife took of me wearing just the head and like buck naked in the trailer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And and actually, you sure
2: you don't want to send that to us? We, our listeners would love to see that. <laughs> and honestly, I would say it's one of the most disturbing pictures ever taken. Like Yeah, <laughs> ever, of all pictures. <laughs> You're like, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, let me ask you
0: this. Uh, with regard to the film, what are your thoughts about the Patterson-Gimlin film?
2: I'm I'm so impressed with like the 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 link that you sent me of like it being slowed down and really like taken apart like that like I mean it's so impressive to be able to do that and how much time people have spent in you know investigating it uh, of yeah. just the reality of it. I'm overall pretty impressed. The thing that like that which I assume bumps most people is the is the flapping of the heel or whatever the back of that cuz it looks like kind of more like you what you guys were pitching where it's like a separate piece as the feet not attached to the suit sort of thing which would obviously potentially if you're walking through brush or bramble may come apart pretty quickly and so like that that was my only like but overall I'm like the face looks pretty good The like you know having spent a lot of time in a monkey suit like I was like this is a, this is a pretty good one pretty good.
0: Yeah, I mean, and considering it was 1967, uh, we, you know, it seems to us like it would have had to been ahead of its time. So it's interesting to get that perspective on it. And it, it, here's another question I want to ask you. Uh, you didn't have the full face mask, so it might have been a little easier. But how was it negotiating like rough terrain, like those scenes you did in the dry lake bed or in the sand or whatever. How was, were you able to move naturally wearing that outfit that, I mean, what was it like being on uneven surfaces?
2: Oh, yes, totally. In certain ways, it sort of feels more natural in a way, like where where you're like, yeah, yeah, this, is, this is, it's pretty comfortable not wearing clothes in a way. Like, I mean, like it it, yes. it, it 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 was skin tight, so like, so you know, it it just feels like you moving your body. And I I like to sort of flop around, and and I I sort of love also characters that are like a little short guy who's getting picked on by a bigger guy. Like, I mean, that's kind of what I, like my role was in Hot Rod of, of Danny McBride like pushing me around. So I was like, oh, it's just another movie where Danny's like pushing men to me and being a jerk. (laughs) So, yeah, like, like I think you can tell in that in that scene where it's like uh, the boogie woogie bugle boy scene. I mean, like I like slide in and like I'm doing this like these dumb like humping dances and like and like I know I can move very, very freely. I would say that like the thing that that was slightly frustrating about it was that I kind of I had been so hot in it constantly. Like, I would immediately, like, take it off, strip myself down to, like, the waist, so sort of thing, not offending anyone, so sort of thing, but, like, pulling it off, and then I would, like, mist myself or whatever I could to, like, cool off. And then when we went out to the desert, obviously it was super hot in the desert, so sort of thing, but, like, yeah. at least there was breezes, not, like, in a like, soundstage kind of thing. But the one thing I was looking forward to was when there, we were going to jump in... A pool. in The, the pool, in the yes, by the hotel or whatever, yeah. Yeah, for the psychedelic scene. I was like, oh, now I get to be comfortable. This is going to be great. And, like, I don't know what the freak I was thinking. Like, of course it's going to be freezing cold. I have just dripping wet yak hair all over myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this was the funniest, <laughs> most tragic, like, being in a dream moment of the entire film where I jump in. I'm, I do, like, a cannonball. The thing holds up so well. Like, my makeup is uh, holds up super well. I jump in once. It's great. Like, they're like, or like, let's do it again. Or maybe this was the first time. I can't remember how this was going. But, like, I jump in. I splash in the water. And then I hear through the water, like, a hundred people laughing. Like... <laughs> and Uh-oh. i was like oh maybe i did something funny I was like maybe I, I did something funny and i and i come out of the water and i realize that the wig part has fallen off and it's floating around in the pool and i basically <laughs> kind of look like darth vader when his helmet's off <laughs> <laughs> and it was like everyone, it was like a hundred people pointing and laughing at me. Like it was like being in a dream where you're like naked at school where I was like, this is, <sighs> this is like being in a horror film. <laughs>
0: it's like right out
2: of, it's out of carry. They're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause it's weird because when you're making something like that, that is, is mimicking, like a humanoid sort of thing when you take away one piece it like it, it right. like either either taking a piece away is horrifying or like you know adding it d- is also horrifying like like <laughs> either way it's horrifying
0: i mean it's safe to say that the costume was is relatively complex and it's not even trying to look like a real animal it's more a callback to a 70s creature that you know yeah. that sid and marty did but that didn't make it any easier, even having it be less like real world. It still is a complicated costume that was really complex to make and apply. And so and so I would say that it it, it puts a, a mark in the column for maybe the the likelihood of the Patterson Gimlin film maybe not being a costume, and I I don't want to put you on the spot about that, but I mean, what are your thoughts in general about, and this is a question you probably, I know you've been interviewed a million times, has anyone ever asked you what you think about Bigfoot?
2: (laughs) Shockingly, no. Um, no. (laughs) It was about time. Yeah. I think if I had talked to Marilyn Manson more, we would have started talking about it. Right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But no, no. Um, I think I'm a cynic at heart, but seeing that film... It does seem like if it, if it is a suit, it's a it's a friggin' good suit. Like if it yeah. is, and I would be very surprised to hear that somebody had all of their clothes on underneath that. It doesn't register to me like that would be. I feel like you would walk funnier. I mean, granted, like it's not like the the walk is like maybe they were trying to do a walk if it is a, a person or whatever. But like, it's a very good suit, and and again, it would take. So much time and energy to do it the way that I'm describing, and to do the the makeup as well as that. especially, especially back then, it does put it in the in the column of like I don't know, I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm going to let Forrest ask you his question. He asks every guest we ever have on the show here.
1: Just has
0: anything weird
1: or paranormal ever happened to you, or do you have a good story from someone else?
2: Okay, so uh, my grandmother. This is when my dad was, I think, like twelve years old and my grandmother who is uh, the sweetest most wonderful puerto rican lady i only say puerto rican because I'm somewhere i'm like maybe there's some connection to santeria or like, i don't I, I don't know what her <laughs> her connection to the to the spirits is or religious she's she's a religious woman she's catholic and she had this moment uh where my dad was at this um swimming club that they went to um uh, back in the day and my dad was Climbing up a balcony uh, that was like 15 feet up or whatever, and he fell off of this this uh, little railing, and he broke his back in I don't know how oh. many pla- uh, how many places. A friend of the family calls my grandmother. And is like Sybil, something happened to Tony. You need to call your doctor. You need to call your doctor right now. Sort of thing, and she freaks out. They don't know what's happening, but they're like he's unresponsive. Uh, he's just staring up. They don't know what's happening. Like, nobody's touch, touching him. And she's like, ah. Uh, and she gets so nervous and is, like, panicked. And she actually knows that her doctor is on vacation as well. Or maybe, she, I don't know if this part of it, maybe she called the hospital. but like, Her doctor's on vacation. He does not have a listed number. They can't get in, in contact with him. And she picks up the phone, and she dials random numbers. And somebody picks up and says, hello. And she says, hello, hello doctor. Like And he's like, Sybil how did you get this number and she's like tony's hurt but she swears that she did not know the number and she dialed it randomly just out like out of concern or whatever the hell but i truly, she's she's had a couple of these kinds of moments that one's amazing to me yeah. she's also had moments where it was like an aunt of hers passed away from a heart attack at the exact moment when she passed away my grandmother was driving over a bridge and had to pull over on the side of the shoulder because she was having heart palpitations. And and, and, so, I mean, and granted, that's not paranormal. That's just sort of being really concerned for your family, I guess. But both of those stories, to me, are incredible. Like that, and they reveal that there is, in my mind, another layer that we're not paying attention to.
1: So your grandmother, she just, by chance, dialed the number of the doctor on
0: vacation? Yes. Wow, that is pretty amazing. And the uh, and the second one you mentioned about the person pulling over, we actually have a show coming up where we're going to be talking about. We have a guy on who's a, actually got a degree in parapsychology from uh, Ed, the university in Edinburgh, and he wrote a book about how all that stuff works. And uh, it had had she actually seen something when she pulled over on the bridge, that would have been a um, spontaneous call, crisis apparition. Yes, what's yeah. it's called a spontaneous crisis apparition? There's a whole series of these i can send you links where you can read about tons of of those same kind of things you don't always have to see something but that's it does sh- point to another layer you know and if i you know i I doubt you've heard our show because i don't think you knew about it till i talked till i asked if you wanted to be on it but you would be uh
2: right in line with some of our episodes in the past you <laughs> so to be fair you didn't know about my podcast either though uh, is... well that was <laughs> this is the what? next We
0: listen to all of them we listen to the yeah, call i here. want to say this is the only other podcast besides my own that i've heard every single episode of <laughs> and yeah. it only took me 15 minutes why don't you tell our listeners about your show
2: well, my show is called Derek Stories, and you're right. You can listen to the entire season one in probably about 12 minutes. <laughs> they're, they're very, very short stories. But yes, and thank you for listening.
1: No, they're really funny. It was, it was hilarious. Very enjoyable. Uh, they're just short, really funny comedic bites. Sarcastic children's yeah. stories. Yeah, I just
2: think it was a great idea, so I really enjoyed it. I'm always I'm <laughs> always excited when people people actually play them for their kids and their kids actually like them. I've, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be doing that wife, today. When I played it for my wife, she was like, who is this for? And then I played it <laughs> for, like, my other sarcastic dad friends, and she was like, oh, it's for your friend Jake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Yorma, we just want to thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to talk to us. This actually lends a, a, an extra dimension to our coverage of this, so we just really appreciate it. I mean, if there's anything else you want to say about this or about the Patterson-Gimlin film, you're welcome to, but, I mean, otherwise, uh, we just want to thank you for your time today.
2: Honestly, thank Total pleasure to be on, and thanks for inviting me. And uh, and yeah, I, I'm sure there are other, are other Chaka stories. I'm trying to think of some good ones. I'm sure I'll, I'll think of some after I'm off. I did take all of these pictures of myself because I learned how to airbrush while, like while I was working with Tom because I would have all this time in the trailer, and so I got pretty yeah. good at like airbrushing. And I would write all these like pecuni love T shirts and like weird like <laughs> weird like Chaka inside jokes that only I cared about. And then also yeah. there was a graffiti writer I think in the eighties in L. A. who who was named Chaka. And so yeah, I, I, so I I took all these pictures of myself in front of like subway cars that were on the Universal <laughs> lot, like of me like throwing up like b boy poses and st- and then I would Photoshop Chaka. Pieces of the, is what they're called, like they like or like throw ups uh, in graffiti, and I yes. would plaster them on the bus. So it looked like I was Chaka, but also Chaka. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta send
0: me some of those.
2: <laughs> I I really hope I can find those photos. If I do, I'll definitely uh, I'll send them to you, and, and hopefully you can link to them because they are so funny. You're like what, like what do I do with my time? It's <laughs> 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 That's fucking All right. Well, thanks again, man. Really appreciate your taking the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure talking to you guys. All right, man. Take it easy. We'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. Bye. That was a blast. You know what? The first thing it told me was just how much more dynamic our show could be if either one of us had any talent. (laughs) We just had (laughs) them on. We should just have the Lonely Island host this. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a lot better. (laughs) Didn't have time for that, but we're so glad that Yorma
1: spent the time with us because he's just a lot of fun to talk to. And it was a great insight. And oh, definitely go check out his podcast called Derek Stories, Short little five-minute, really funny bites with a... a They're not even five. They're (laughs) like
0: one or two per episode. (laughs) Oh, that's... Yeah. yeah. It's Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K story. So look for that. It's on iTunes for sure. It's probably everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, some people might say it was a little off topic to talk to him, but I thought... Here's what I thought was really interesting. That costume is not designed to look like a real animal of any kind, even an unknown primate or a cryptid. Right. And it was a ton of work. Yeah. All the time that he spent... Getting into it, he talks about how hard the physicality of it was. Now, granted, he was shooting for 65 days. And if you were talking about the Patterson-Gimlin film and saying, oh, well, I think it might have been a hoax, that was obviously not, would not have been a 65-day shoot. It would have been a day or two. So some of that stuff wouldn't track. But still, he makes it clear that it's hard to move. He talked about the complexity and the intensity of the process of getting that costume applied. Mm -hmm. I mean, just hours and hours just to get it to look the way it looks in that movie. Well,
1: I also liked hearing about what it was like to wear that and the perspective of somebody who has worn a costume for a film. It's one thing to hear from people who are scientists and they can tell you how primates act. But if you're thinking it's a suit, then what are the specifics of that? Because it's easy for people to say like, well, there you go, I could put on a suit and I'd look that good.
0: But would you? And how would you know how to act? Yeah, and I think about this too. I mean, they made three suits for that movie and he said they were $150,000 each. Now, that gives you an idea of how much labor and artistic work and how many experts had to be employed just to make Yorma look like Chaka, which again is kind of looks like a dude in a suit, you know? So that's, (laughs) if, if you stack Chaka up again next to Patty, When you see Chaka, you're like, that's a dude. When you see Patty, you can't say that, or a lot of experts can't say that anyway. So, I mean, and I shouldn't say you can't say that because there's plenty of people within the sound of my voice who are like, no, it's a a guy in a suit. I'm just saying that there are plenty of experts and scientists who will say, I can't definitively say that. Whereas I would say, if you're looking at Chaka and Land of the Lost in -hmm. this relatively recent film, there's not a moment where you're thinking that's not a human being. Right, well, here's why I think the comparison between
1: Chaka, the suit, and Patty in the Patterson-Gimlin film, why it's a valid and reasonable comparison is that with Chaka, like you said, it's really expensive to put that together with a team of people, and it's
0: still, you could tell, it's Yorma. You know, it's a humanistic face. Yes. Uh, Which they were doing on purpose, I want to point out. All due respect to the makeup artist and the costume designer from that film, they were assigned the task of Making it be, it's got to do a yeah. nod to the to, show from the seventies, where you tell it was a person, absolutely in a costume, yeah. right? So it's the child it's comedy,
1: yeah. It's the child, and and actually, as a point we said about the film, or what people have brought up about why there isn't hair on the face of Patty and primates in general, one theory is that it allows for better social communication and expression. Yes, when there's no hair, you can tell another member of your tribe or circle, your your family group, there what they're emotions and expressions are or if they're sick if there's no hair so it's a form of non communication so yeah sure. it's a nod to the older film plus it's a comedy so you gotta you want to see the facial expressions and the comedic you know expressions there but my point about patty if it is a suit you know there have been experts in the special effects field, and, and maybe some scientists even, and of course, a lot of amateur, just armchair experts looking at it once or twice, it can say like, well, there you go, I can see a seam on there, I can see a zipper, or it looked like a, a fastener of some kind, or the around the waist, there's a roll that looks like the separation between the pants and the torso of a costume. So some can say that, and I think individually, some people can see that, some can't. I would say it's pretty obvious if you look at Patty in the Patterson-Gimlin film and you think it is a suit, you can't deny that it's very sophisticated because it does appear to me to have distinct muscle groups that are moving in the way that they should, not stiffly or disjointed. So here with Chaka, you have a really expensive suit that isn't really trying to do all that because you are relying on Yorma, the actor, underneath to give the suit characteristics because it is skin tight. Whereas if you look at Patty, to get that, it would have to be skin tight. And the one person that's come forward to claim that they were in the suit, Bob Hieronymus, said he was wearing clothes under it. It wasn't skin tight. So if it wasn't Bob, who else was wearing the suit that could make those movements and make that suit look like a $100,000 suit back in 1967.
0: That's going to wrap up this commercial-free bonus episode, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode on the scientific community's reaction to the infamous Patterson-Gimlin film.